baseball season. Hey, there was a card like this on the seats, uh, or one of the seats near you. And remember, we're launching our Just Walk Across the Room series next Sunday. And going along with that is our four-week small group study experience. And we're just encouraging everyone to jump into one of these for four weeks. We've got about nine different uh, groups to offer. And we're also uh, very eager to launch a new group if we get so many people on a certain day that we don't currently have a group. So if you would use that card and communicate with us, just mark on the back which day works best for you or which group. And if you see a group on there and you'd say, hey, none of those work, but Thursdays work or whatever, mark that on the card, drop that in the offering at the end of service. And uh, we'll get back with you pretty quick here and, and set up those groups. So those will kick off starting next Sunday. And then if it's a weekday group, it would be the week after next Sunday that those will get going for. So use that card. That'd be great. Hey, if you got your Bibles, John chapter 5, please. John chapter 5. We're going to take a look at this passage uh, that involves Jesus. Just it, This is a, one of those straight-up classic Jesus encounter type of verses. And we're going to take a look at that this week because next week we're going to start this series called Just Walk Across the Room. And what we're going to be doing for four weeks starting next week is we're going to be talking to you about the call of God using us, me, you, to actually, through relationship and through words, to go talk to people about Jesus Christ and what he has to offer their life. And we're going to learn that it's not about bulldozing people and, and it's not about yelling louder than someone else. It's simply about engaging in their life about Jesus. So we're going to start that next week. But some of you, I know what you're going to feel in your heart but afraid to say with your mouth is that there's not a lot in your own Christian life, intriguing enough that you would go share with somebody else. Like, yeah, I've got the Christian experience. There was that day at camp, or there was that time at church, or there was that moment I remember mom and dad prayed with me, and I, and I look and I say, I have this salvation experience. I know of Jesus. I would call myself and declare myself Christian. But if you were honest, you would sit back and say, but seems like the other Christians out there must have more going on in their Christianity than I do because I, I just, I'm not quite sure there's, there's enough intriguing enough that what I've experienced in Christ to want to walk across the room starting next week and share Jesus with somebody else. So I thought this, this week we're just going to just take a Jesus passage and we're going to walk through it and we're going to just look at this simple encounter Jesus had with, it's actually a few different individuals though it looks like one in the story, and we're just going to talk about how this impacts our own life and our own Christian, our own Christian experience. So sound good? Good. You don't have a choice. Um, I'm going to do it anyway. So it's listen or walk out. So, um, and we've got people stationed by the door, so... That's going to be an awkward one for you. Let me pray with you if you don't mind. Father, I just believe this morning that in your name, you have strong words you want to speak to us. Lord, you know I, uh, you've created me a certain way, and um, I'm not a thumper, and I'm not a yeller, and I'm not a rah-rah guy, and my congregation would probably laugh at me if I tried to be that. Um, but I just want to share your word this morning. And I believe through this passage of you encountering somebody who was in great need that you could speak to us in a way we might need to hear today. And we might need to walk out of here and owning the words and applying it to our life in the way that it needs to be applied this morning. And Father, by your grace and the power of your spirit, I believe somebody can walk out transformed this morning. And so Lord, would you do it in our heart, we pray in your son's name. Amen. 
All right, John chapter 5. We're going to take a look at this passage starting in verse 1, and we're going to get about down to verse 15 as we make our way. So if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. That'll be what's on the screen. It's kind of an easy-to-read translation, um, but it's still a a fairly uh, scholar translation, too, if if you like reading it that way. But whatever you have, just follow along uh, this morning would be great. John chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, there was a sheep gate, uh, uh, near the sheep gate, excuse me, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So in this, this passage, John is the writer here, and I want to remind you, as uh, if you have been with us a while, when we walk through the story and we walk through the whole Bible, we said of John that John is interested in you knowing who Jesus Christ is. He's not overly interested in the chronology of the stories of, about Jesus. So if you're very familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you get to John, you're going to say, John seems pretty jumbled up. Well, you're right. He is jumbled up because he's not concerned with that aspect of it. He's concerned with you knowing about Jesus Christ. So because of that concern, we get a lot of these very intriguing interactions of Jesus with people. And here we get the story of Jesus coming to this pool where there's sick and lame people and he encounters this man who had been there a very long time. So it's one of the Jewish holy days. In fact, there was three Jewish holidays that were, that were like pilgrimage holidays. And you know what I mean by pilgrimage? It means you would travel to Jerusalem and you would celebrate the holiday there. And they would usually last about a week. And so this is one of those that they would have traveled. So you're talking about a swelling of Jerusalem, a, a, a large number that would be coming into the town. And so if you were somebody who was uh, in this man's condition, you probably didn't move a whole lot. 38 years at this pool, um, paralyzed, lame for that long. We don't know if from birth or, or if something had happened. It's not really relevant to the story, but he had been there a long time. Probably not overly mobile. He certainly didn't work. And so, most likely, he is a beggar who's asking for money. This is a better time for him when the city swells, when there are a larger number of people. So Jesus is making his way through here during this time, and he comes upon this man. And he asks him a pretty intriguing question, but I want you to hear it again. Would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? Now, you could take that however you'd like this morning. You can take it as, well, duh, Jesus. I mean, clearly the guy's sitting or laying on a mat. He can't move. He's by this pool that is notorious for people who want to be healed to, to spend most, or if not all of their time. Of course, he would want to be healed, right? Let me tell you about this pool. There's this legend here at this pool that the angel of the Lord uh, would come down and he would, as they would say, they would dip his finger in the water and the first person that got into the water after that, after that blessing of the angel, would find healing. And so you could imagine, if you, if you really l- knew this legend and you were like, I believe in that fully, and it may seem as you're sitting here this morning, that may seem, well, that's... That's kind of a little corny there. Surely they didn't all believe that there. Yet, 
even in our day and age, we know of people who travel to great lengths and do great things to find some type of healing in their life. Or they might scramble through, we used to scramble into the newspaper, and now maybe you got an app for it, to find the horoscope to read and, and know what might happen in my life today. So there's a lot of avenues that we do, even to this day, that we might sit back and go, hmm, that sounds a little corny. But that's exactly what they believed about this pool. So if you believe that, and you're next to the pool, then you're going to do everything you can to get into the pool So when Jesus comes and he says, do you want to get well, the man has an answer. He says, I can't, sir. Verse 7, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So basically he's telling Jesus, I can't get into the pool. Makes sense, right? He's lame. He can't move his legs. He can't get into the water. I don't know. Maybe you just start rolling and can get in. But uh, seemingly, someone always gets in the water. Now, I don't know. It doesn't say in the story if that person just pops up out of the water totally healed or if they just kind of believed, well, they went on with their day and we never saw them again, so they must have been healed. We don't really know. It's, it, it doesn't really matter. But we know this guy never had the opportunity. He didn't tell the story that I got in there, I tried that, Jesus, it didn't work, kind of thing. He just says, I've had no one to help me get into the pool. I've never had the opportunity to be first into the pool. Luck has not worked out for me, he might say, or as we like to say sometimes. But what was the question Jesus asked? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you like to get well? Here's the first thing I want us to take this morning. I want to make sure you see yourself in the story. Because as I I read this and as I study this, in all scripture that was written first to someone else, it speaks to each of us. And so as we look at this, we ask, well, how does this speak and how does this translate? This morning I've titled the message, "It's, It's Always Jesus. It's Always Jesus. In fact, going into our series next week, in order to have something intriguing to share with someone else about Jesus Christ, it's got to always be about Jesus Christ ourselves. And so I look at this passage and I say, how does this translate to us? Here's the first thing. I wonder this morning if, like this man, though your circumstances might be different, it's not lame from birth, it's not 38 years, it's not your legs, maybe it's not even physical, period. If there's something in your life you're saying, I need healing here. I need to be made well. I need a change. I need a transformation. I need this to go away. I need something to be added in new. If there is this journey and this hope and this desire for something to change in some area of your life. Certainly for this man, this was it. And Jesus came and said, would you like to be made well? Imagine this morning if Jesus just appeared to you right here in this room And for whatever just came to your mind when I asked you that question, and Jesus says, do you want to be made well? You say, I I, I deal with anger, like all the time, like every day. In some way, some capacity, something gets under my skin, and I I just let loose in, in some way. Sometimes I let loose here, other times I mean I'm just over the top. And I kind of live in that, that land of anger constantly. And I hate it about me. And Jesus appears this morning and says, do you want to be made well? Would you like to be made well? 
Or, or maybe this morning, uh, it, it's one of you, and there's just a, a form of addiction that you're dealing with in your life. I don't know. The, the stats tell us men, gentlemen, that, that sexual addiction or pornography just runs rampant among men. But women, you're not immune to us. The stats keep creaking up in this, in this area as well. And you're like, I hate this about me. I'm, I'm constantly drawn to this and desire to do this. Sometimes I even act upon this. And Jesus stood and said, hey, would you like to be made well this morning? Just go down the list. Whatever popped in your head, Jesus saying, would you like to be made well? Now here's the response of the man. Well, I can't. I got no one to put me in the water when it bubbles up. This is the equivalent of us saying, yeah, but it's just too hard. There's just no avenue. I, I, I don't know. I, I've exhausted all the ways I know how, and there's just, there's just no way for it to make, to make it happen. Have you ever had that? I mean, if you walk through a marital situation, you and your spouse are just not connecting. It's just not happening relationally. And sometimes you actually come back to it after a blowout, and you go, I don't even know why I said that. I don't even know why I went there. I knew that wasn't the right approach. I knew that was going to end in, in hostility, but I went there anyway. I don't even know why I did that. And Jesus says, would you like to be made well? And you say, that's yeah, too hard. I've, I mean, I've tried a few times, tried a couple of different things. You know, I watched some of those afternoon talk shows and tried to apply some of those principles. I got a nice book I read through, and it, it's just too hard. It's too hard. That, that's essentially what the guy is saying here. He's saying, I just, I don't have any avenue to be made well. I've exhausted avenues on my own. Now, and I don't think of him as a, a villain or a bad guy for saying this. This is the natural tendency, the natural way that we look at things. That we say, I tried. I put all my effort to it. All my know-how I put to it. And these things just not, could not get accomplished. Now, if you wanted, you could say here that maybe he's even casting the blame onto, oh, I've got no one else. There's no one here to help me. It's all me. I'm not sure if the guy's actually saying this, but I know uh, you or I might have said that kind of thing, right? At times. I'm dealing with this thing. Would you like to be made well? Jesus says. Well, yeah, I would, but I mean, I've just been screwed over in life. Let me tell you about this person, what they did to me. I, you know, I, I was right there. I should have got that advancement in the work they gave it to that other guy. Let me, just, let me just tell you about this. It's the same kind of story this guy's giving. So what does Jesus do? He bypasses entirely. Take a look at verse 8, and he says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. I believe Jesus today is saying to you, he's asking the same question, Would you like to be made well? In any area of your life, is there any area stifling your life. And Jesus is saying, would you like to be made well? And then Jesus is saying, look, don't, I, I don't want you to say it's too hard. I don't want you to say I've been messed over. I don't want you to say in my power I've done this or in my know-how I've done this. That Jesus himself, Savior of the world, right, is saying, would you like to be made well? Can I remind you this morning, the title of our message is, it's all about Jesus. That how different it, it would have been if the guy would realize right away now, yes, make me well. Make me well. Now, Jesus, we find he goes ahead and, and he heals the guy. We're going to read more about that in just a second. But I think it's very possible this morning that you haven't found victory in some area of your life because it's not really Jesus that you've looked for your victory in. It's not really what he has to offer. You see, it's, 
It's hard. Or if you keep stumbling in error, you just say things like, I'm, I'm only human. You know, to err is to human. Can I just tell you, biblically, you've got to get off that. Because that's not the claim of God's word. The Bible actually says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you understand what that means? That the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit in your life is far more significant than anything that being a human might have power over. That's what he says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. Meaning the power of Christ prevails if that's what I would allow. But so often, I try to live in two different worlds, right? Love Jesus, into Jesus. Man, that Brian could play guitar. He really draws me into that praise team, that praise song. Really get into that. But then I got to deal with real world and real life, right? And when I'm out there dealing with this, this is not nearly as popular and not as easy of a route. So I kind of kind of bypass what Christ might have to offer me in this world out here. And I deal with difficulties and hardships. And I want to tell you this morning, I want to plead with you, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And you might say, well, what does that mean, Tom? Well, I'd love to give you just like one quick phrase and that would fix it all in your life entirely. That's not how Christianity works. But I want to invite you to just go to the books that we just talked about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just start reading about Jesus, reading about who he is and what he has to offer. So let's read on in this passage, uh, verse 9. It says, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But the man replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who said such a thing as that, they said. But the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. So instantly the man is healed. Now, that's pretty amazing in itself, right? That Jesus brings healing. The Lord has never used me that way. At least as far as I know, he's never used me in the sense where I just spoke healing upon somebody, and then I would use the word instantly they were healed. Like I could, I could see it immediately. God has used other people. I've heard other testimonies about that. But God healing is amazing. So let me not let you feel like I'm just glossing over a miracle done. But I think there's, there's something else that can impact us here as well if we look at this. The man rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. This miracle happened on the Sabbath. Now, I'm intrigued, uh, I don't know if you are, when I read verse 8 back there, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Why did he tell him to pick up the mat? Who cares about the mat, right? I mean, all you have to say is stand, and if I started to feel some energy and some power in my legs that I had not had for 38 years, and I stood and I started to feel strength that I had not felt, then that's all I need, right? I mean, from then, I'm leaping and dancing and hollering and whatever I, you know, I need to do uh, to celebrate the healing that has now come to my legs. Who cares about the mat, right? I'm not even thinking about the mat. In fact, the mat might very well just be a reminder of my lame legs. I don't want to have anything to do with the mat again. But Jesus tells him, get up, take up your mat too, and walk. And the man does exactly 
exactly this. So what happens right after that? Well, I think Jesus already knew this was the Sabbath. This was the Sabbath. And this was going to cause a problem. Kind of foreign to us to think, well, what's the big deal? You pick up a mat, you carry it. Some of you carried a purse in this morning. And some of you carried purses that are much larger than some mat, you know, in here. I don't know how you ladies do it. But that would be working on the Sabbath. You go, working on the Sabbath? I'm just carrying a bag in. This morning, um, I, I came early. I don't know if you, what you felt like when you woke up with that missed hour of sleep. I felt like somebody just smacked me in the face. I, it took me a little while. But I got here still early enough to do kind of a pre-setup. We, all this you see back here, we start getting that going. And the chairs that you're sitting in get that going before Corbin shows up, and Corbin pulls in the trailer, right? We unload, and a few of our sound and media guys are here, and we unload all the sound stuff. Praise team shows up then, and we start to set up everything you're seeing music-wise and media-wise. And then at 8.30, we've got another crew that shows up, and everything else you see, kids and hallways and displays, they take and set all that stuff up. Guess what? That's all work. I mean, it felt like work. Um, that was on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't do that on the Sabbath. Why? You know, let me tell you a little background here. So there's, there's three different religious leaders that show up in the New Testament. There's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Zealots. All right? Um, these three, the Pharisees, their job was to be out among the people, interacting with the people. And a large part of what they did interacting with the people was actually enforce the Old Testament law that, that you might know from, from God's word. Now, the Sadducees, they, they were more of the, uh, they would call themselves more of like kind of the academic thinkers. So they were more in the temple and they were processing scripture, mainly what do we still follow today and what are we chucking out? today. That was a Sadducee battle going on all the time. And then the zealots, the zealots were the revolutionaries. They were always fighting, fighting, and fighting. And and here, they were looking to overthrow the Roman government some way, somehow. They were these activist-type revolutionists. So that's your three religious leaders that were active. This was the Pharisees, out among the people. But here's what would happen, is though the Old Testament law said, don't work on the Sabbath— Do you know what God meant when he said, don't work on the Sabbath? He said, look, you're humans. You were designed from creation to need rest. I pulled up behind a van once getting off of of Bryan Boulevard onto New Garden, and the back of the van was celebrating 24-7, 365 days a year. And then it had this little slash, or 366 days a year, just in case it was a leap year. They wanted you to know. It sounds pretty cool in the business world, right? Man, they are always ready. It was like electric and plumbing and, and that type of... They are always ready for you. Anytime you need them, you can call. But according to God's word, he said, you weren't designed that way. You will destroy yourself that way. You got to have rest. And so God's way was to say, I'm going to build Sabbath into your life. Work hard for six days, take a seventh day off and find your rest, find your refreshment. God wasn't saying, hey, work yourself ragged for 14 months and then just some way, somehow get away for a two-week Disney vacation and relax, you know? And nothing wrong with Disney vacations. But God's way is saying, look, I want to offer you rest every single week. So he offers us Sabbath. Guess what? It's not just Old Testament law stuff. It's it's, It's right there available for us right here, right now. And God says, take it, use it. You need the rest. We're designed the same way today that we were designed at creation. But here's what would happen, is the Pharisees would say, what really is work anyway? What's work? 
And so they would start to write in things that were work and things that weren't work, just so we knew. So if you got out and said, I'm going to take a walk today. It's a nice day. It's on the Sabbath. The Pharisees would say, well, do that. That's a great idea. Make sure you don't go over two miles. Because if you go two miles, you're good. That's just that's a little Sunday stroll and you're enjoying yourself. Maybe you're holding hands with your wife. I, I don't know. But you go over two miles and now you're journeying. Now you're working. You're going a little too far on the Sabbath, right? So the Pharisees would start writing these things in. And you want to talk about a list of laws. The list that the Pharisees would actually write in, ever, ever gone to the Old Testament, ever read in, in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and read from the law? Now picture that five times greater, five times longer. You got your pharisaical law. You got what the Pharisees wrote in. So one of these things was how large something could be that you could pick up and you could carry before it became work. You thinking about working out this afternoon? No? At your house? So you're like, no. <laughs> what kind of stupid illustration is this? You know? Yeah, you're going to pick up about a five-pound dumbbell, and that's about all. That's not all you're going to be allowed, because if you lift any more, it's going to be working on the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees would say. So this mat was a problem, was a problem. So immediately they saw this and they objected, as we read, and they said to the man, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Listen, I just told you this to the Pharisees. What was their job? was to be among the people. In fact, I believe that Jesus had incredible hope for the Pharisees because they weren't stuck in the temple. They were out with the people. The Pharisees knew who this guy was. They were out there. 38 years, they knew this guy. And now he's walking. Who cares about the mat? If a, a miracle has happened, a healing has happened. And I'll tell you, for the Pharisees here, the same title of our sermon, it's all about Jesus. Their eyes couldn't see that at all. Their eyes could see just violation of the law and really the law that they created to go on top of what God had already created. How do we deal with this today? I, I think for some of us today that God has brought healing to your life, that like God has, has come in and invaded your life. He saved you, he brought salvation to you. God has, has rid a rough situation. God has provided in an area that you begged him for for a long time. God has rid of an addiction or, or whatever God has done in your life. But sometimes if we're, if we're not careful, we can start listening to the non-biblical voices. We can start obeying the non-biblical laws. We even can become that voice for ourselves and stifle ourselves. And here we find that if this man, this man here, very, very well, this could be the end of his encounter with Jesus and any glory that would come from here on out if he wanted to lock into just what the, what the Pharisees, these religious leaders, were telling him to do. Do you know that the Bible calls us to love? Did you know that? I sure hope you did. If you, if you didn't, we've got, we've got some additional reading I'd like to offer you from God's Word. Yeah, we're called to love. Every single person you come in contact with, you are called to love. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they do. If they, if they live a certain way that you don't believe in or that you don't think is even biblical, it's irrelevant. God has said, you're called to love them. To love them. And I don't just mean love them like you say, hey, I, I love everyone. I mean, that's my gig. That's my thing. I love everyone, right? But in reality, it doesn't play out. 
Like, I mean, you would not stop and talk to them because it's awkward. You know, as simple as that. God, God says, and Jesus you know, backs this up in his word, love everyone. That's what we're called to do. And so we should do it in every way, shape, and form. Jesus uh, actually tells a story of the good Samaritan. If you remember where the hated Samaritan in the story is actually the person that comes to the rescue of this, of this Jewish person. He tells another story about a Samaritan woman at a well And yet, this isn't a story. This is reality. Jesus stops, and he speaks to her and talks to her. A Samaritan woman, culturally in this day, that unacceptable. Jesus says, just go and love everyone. Woman caught in adultery. Jesus had the right to stone her. He could have declared it if he wanted to. Jesus says, I don't want to do that. I want to bring redemption to you. Jesus says, love everyone. So that's the command. So maybe for you, you got saved, right? And maybe God, actually, the healing he brought to your life was he opened up your ability to love other people, your ability to love people, love someone, love your spouse, love your family, love your coworkers, love somebody who you're like, I am so fundamentally opposed to what they believe in, but God has brought healing to my life to show them grace and to show them love. And I just thank the Lord for that. Love is the absolute, and he's brought healing to your life. I know he's brought healing to mine, and he continues to develop that great gift of love. Tolerance would be pharisaical. Tolerance would not be the biblical, the biblical uh, demand of love. Tolerance would say, love, but let me tell you how you have to do it. See, tolerance will tell you just to kind of conform, dial everything down, and let's all get to a common denominator that's kind of a baseline here so that we can function and interact with one another and not ruffle anyone's feathers ever. That wouldn't be the the biblical way. That wouldn't be what God is telling us to do. That would be like this extra requirement on top of your love that actually eliminates the love for us in the first place. God says, just love. Just love. You can hold on to your belief system. You can believe passionately God's word. You can even be labeled a fundamentalist if you want to. But you can't be labeled a fundamentalist and not love. I mean, if, if you're that, then we don't, want to have, we don't have anything to do with that. I certainly don't in this church. Call to love. Call to love. These things invade us even today. I brought healing to your life. I brought healing. Oh, but you can't do that. You, you got a mat. You can't do it that way. So disregard the healing, disregard the grace, disregard the love of Christ because you're going to carry a mat and that needs to now be the central focus and the central issue. And Jesus says today, he doesn't want us to be bound. We don't want to bind ourselves with these things. Carry out the healing God has brought to your life or carry out the message and the mission that the word of God speaks to us about. Let's look on at this last part. It says, uh, here we, who said such a thing they demanded? We, he didn't know. Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. It says, but afterwards, Jesus found him, this is the guy he healed, in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something else worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So Jesus actually tracks the man down later. He had disappeared at that uh, certain time, and he tracked the man down later, 
And he, he said to the man, now, you're well. So don't, don't continue sinning. Something worse may even happen. Now, be a little careful here, and we're not going to dwell too long on this theological point. Be a little careful that Jesus is not declaring that sin brought this issue on his life, this, this lame issue of 38 years, or that sin caused him to not be allowed to be healed during this 38 years. Uh, we don't know that. That's, that's not the message that's being said. But the message that is being said, look, don't sin. Don't, don't sin in your life and live in that way. Or it's, it'd be even worse than being lame would be to go on and to sin and be separated from God. So change your life. Change it entirely is what he said. Here's physical healing, but that's not the wholeness of the healing you need in your life. There's spiritual as well. Then here's a key verse here, verse 15. Then the man went and told Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, we don't know why the man was in the temple for sure. Many biblical scholars like to believe the man was actually looking for Jesus to identify who Jesus is. Verse 15 would tip us off to that because as soon as he was able to identify who Jesus was, he went to the religious leaders and he told them exactly what they were looking for in the first place. Do you understand what's happening here? Here, Jesus has brought healing to this man's life. Jesus sought him out. Do you wish to be made well? Well, nobody's ever given me a chance. Nobody's ever helped me out. I've had no way. It's just too hard. Just said, I don't care about any of that. Pick up your mat, walk, you're healed. Immediately, instantly, this translation says, he's healed. Jesus has radically transformed this man's life. His life will never be the same. If from this moment on, he has no interest in Jesus Christ, his life still will be radically transformed the rest of his days because he can walk. And yet his loyalty still lies with the Jewish leaders. Where he ran is still to the Jewish leaders. It wasn't to Jesus. He went and told them. Now you think, well, what's, what's the big deal there? Take a look at verse 16. I'll read it to you since I don't think it'll be on the screen. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking Sabbath rules. This is the identification from this point on, Jesus is going to deal with, with the Pharisees and religious leaders constantly tracking him down, constantly trying to trap him in some, some lie of the Old Testament or some, um, some hypocrisy of the Old Testament so that they can accuse Jesus. Here what we find is this man, even though his life has radically transformed, when he encounters Jesus, he'll never be the same, even if he tried to leave Jesus entirely alone and yet his loyalty still lies with the Jewish leaders. Now you may on first reading think that has nothing to do with my life. Can I tell you this morning, believers, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ at some point, Jesus has changed your life. He's transformed you. You've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. In fact, you will probably never be the same in your life again on some level, even if today you said, I'm done, with, I'm done with church, I'm done with Jesus, I'm done with this stuff. He will still leave his lasting mark on your life. Yet it is so easy for us to still find our loyalty in our cultural norms, our loyalties in what is comfortable for us, our loyalties in uh, what doesn't offend anyone else, 
Our loyalty is just in our own world, but not our loyalties in the word of God or in Christ. And so I want to encourage you today, if there's this moment you look back and say, there was this time, I know my testimony in my head, retell your testimony to yourself. When I came to know Jesus as my Savior, this is how my life was different. So this is where I want to live. Because in the end, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you haven't found victory in some area of your life, if you're struggling in in something to overcome something, listen, the answer lies in Jesus. I'd love to tell you this morning, that means you will find the healing and redemption in that area exactly like you have scripted it out. But I've learned now in my 44 years of life, I had a birthday last weekend, um, it doesn't always work out that way. But I know the claim of Jesus' verse, come to me that you might have life and more life than you've ever dreamed of, that has held true every time I've looked to Christ. Be honest with yourself. Where do your loyalties lie today? When you're trying to figure out what to do, does it start off with a, well, I think that? Or does it start with, you know, the word of God leads me to, you fill in the blank. So this morning, I want to finish this time and just pray for you in these areas. I want to remind you that Jesus stands in front of you today if you need, and he says, do you want to be made well? And if you want to rattle off a list of excuses of, of, of not hearing the question, you can. In fact, sometimes the longer we talk, then the more we really miss the question Jesus is asking us. If you need healing today in some area of life, if you need to be made well, it doesn't even have to be physical, you may have a self-esteem issue where every day you wake up and look in the mirror and you go, trash. I believe Jesus wants to bring healing to your life, show you your value, how much he loves you, whatever it is. Jesus, this morning, I believe he wants to say, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. If you have been healed, if Jesus has brought healing to your life, but you have heaped on yourself these unbiblical requirements and you find no joy anymore in what Jesus brought to your life. If you know your life has radically been transformed, right? But every day you doubt that, that he even loves you. Then you've heaped something on yourself that the word of God doesn't say. And I want to encourage you this morning, strip away, strip away what's not, what's not coming from God's word. And finally this morning, if you look at your encounter and you recognize, I'm a different person. I've been transformed. In fact, the lasting mark will always be on me, even if I walked away from Christ today. Yet if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, man, my loyalty still seems to lie in an area that doesn't involve Jesus. Then this morning, I want to I wanna encourage you and pray for you as well. So would you bow and let's pray over this simple passage of a Jesus encounter. So Father, I believe this morning um, that you need to bring healing to some people. I think there's some people in here, Lord, that, uh, that Lord, they need to release something to you. And they've been trying. They've been working hard. I don't even think they've been slacking on it, Lord, but it's just, it's been their own effort, their own energy. And you've said through your grace, through the power of your spirit, that we can overcome. 
And so Lord, this morning I'm praying that on them right now, that they would receive that and own that. Father, I believe that Jesus is standing and asking if we want to be made well, and some are saying it's just too hard. And Lord, maybe there's no greater non-Jesus answer than just to say it's too hard. Because your word tells us, no, greater is, greater is the one who's in us. So Lord, I pray that the power of the one in us would prevail, would be huge this morning, would just swell up right now. Father, for others, that they, they've experienced the transformation, they've experienced the healing, and yet they're even on themselves heaping a ton of these pharisaical type of living things, things that are, are not from your word. Lord, you call us to holiness, and that means there's a lifestyle change that goes with us. There's no doubt in that. But Father, at times in our life, we can step away from your grace and healing because of things we've heaped upon ourselves. And then, Father, finally, I'd say if we're honest with ourselves, there's these times when even though we claim the transformation and even though we would say, boy, I could never go back to that old life, never going to happen, but my loyalty still seems to lie within myself instead of Christ. So, Father, this morning, would you send us out and would you just remind us, it's always Jesus. It's always you. So when I'm unsure, when I have question, when I feel like I'm just slamming into a wall or the weight is much heavier than I expected, Father, would I return to your word? Would I return to the words even that you said, those red letters that some of our Bibles put it in? And would I read and I would, would I be reminded of who you are and what you have to bring to my life? Because Lord, it's, it's always about you. So, Father, this morning, send us out with that because I believe next week, Father, when we start a new series, a four-week, to learn how do we engage in conversations about you, they will be so much more powerful and fruit-filled if we've had an encounter with you this week. So we pray great testimony on this. We pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you uh, for coming and having the opportunity to to worship this morning. And I uh, would encourage you, uh, as I talked about some of those Jewish festivals in there, there's actually a, a pretty neat series of, of passages that go from John, the end of John chapter 5, but 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, that all continue this similar storyline of Jesus interacting with these people. So I'd encourage you this week, maybe add that into your devotion reading, get up in the morning, read one of those passages or chapters each morning, and I think you'd find blessing in that. Well, we're going to do our morning offering today, and so this would be a time, if you filled out one of these cards, just slip that in the offering, and we'll connect with you that way. Again, uh, our tithes and offerings, you can give it this way, or if you uh, don't own a checkbook, no problem, use our windoverhills.org, and you can set up all your online giving that way as well. Um, I was asked this morning about the building update. We did hit the four-week mark this week, and when our uh, plans went to the county for county approval, that's the last thing we're waiting on, and we can break ground and move forward. We have scheduled a pre-construction meeting uh, with the county, so that's on the books as well. We just need the approval from the county, so we did not hear from them as of Friday. So um, uh, we, we were told two to three weeks. We've hit the four-week mark, so 
So uh, that would uh, prayerfully be this week. So keep praying that way, and then uh, I'll let you know when the bulldozers are coming, because I know you want to be in your chair with your big gulp, your video camera, watching Facebook Live in it all day long. So it's going to be incredible. All right, well, uh, ushers, if you'd come take up our morning offering, and I'll invite you to stand with us, and our praise team's going to send us out. Whew. The praise team is pumped up. <laughs> <laughs>